Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast through Patreon and also through my website, Go to CanadaEHX.com and click Donate. Every dollar you give helps keep the podcast going. Today on the podcast, I'm talking with Brandon Doucette. He's a dentist in Newfoundland, and he's involved in helping to try and get Canada universal dental care. And that's not a crazy thing. It's actually very common in Europe, and I think that we should have it here. Dental care is very important. And throughout this interview, we talk about universal dental care, the history of dental care in Canada, and much more. So why don't we get straight to it? First question, just, you know, introduce uh, who you are and, and, and uh, why, why this is something that's important to you. Uh, so my name's Brandon Doucette. I'm a practicing dentist in Newfoundland. And I'm, I've had a lot of interest in the inequalities people face accessing dental care. One of the reasons for this, I mean, I've always been interested in the idea of you know, access to healthcare, but through my time uh, going through dental school and practicing as a dentist, I've noticed that those inequalities are much more stark than I originally understood. And I've also realized that it's not the odd person falling through the crack. It's rather kind of broad segments of the population that are systematically neglected from our dental care system. And what happens when people neglect dental care is, you know, small problems get big and then it it becomes more expensive to fix big problems rather than small ones. And also people pay the price with lower quality of life, living with pain, infection. And it's something that to me, it was quite shocking to see people in their 20s and 30s coming into the school or coming into clinics needing all their teeth taken out. Yeah. And to me, that kind of, you know, shocked me a bit. And, and I get it. You know, there's some element of people need to take care of their own teeth, but there's also elements of people can't afford to get treatment, you know, partway through that problem. And they live for years and years with rotten teeth rather than, you know, they have a few problems. They come in, get some teeth taken out, get some fillings and then get, you know, maybe partial dentures or something like that. No, people actually leave it until every tooth in their mouth is rotted. <laughs> And it's, it's a really sad thing to see. And it's also something that, I mean, I speak with these people and they say, oh, you know, if I could have afforded to come in, afforded to come in a couple years ago and still have maybe half my teeth, well, you know, they, they would have been so grateful for that opportunity. Um, so I know when I, uh, I write uh, local history columns out here in the West, uh, one of the first things a community will get is a doctor, but then soon after a dentist will come in. And so tell me kind of a bit about, you know, the dental history of Canada. Uh, and cause it's something that a lot of people probably don't think about, but that has had a big impact on millions of lives over the course of, 
a few centuries. Yeah, so I mean, dentistry started off with what's known as barber surgeons. So they were separate from the medical profession. And they performed simple procedures like, uh, you know, trying to take out teeth along with other procedures, cutting hair, stuff like that. <laughs> um, and there was this push kind of around the time of confederation to make dentistry more of a, what was the, called a learned profession at the time, which was dentists attempt to actually uh, put themselves on the same level as doctors. Part of the reason for this was, you know, a genuine concern for things like the skills needed to perform procedures. Like you should have uh, training, you should have medical knowledge and stuff like that and hy hy hygiene concerns. But there was also other elements of trained dentists trying to crush the competition of untrained dentists, which, uh, you know what I mean? Because in many communities, there were no other alternatives. So there wasn't, it wouldn't be so weird for someone to see a, say a farmer or a blacksmith or something like that to pull a tooth for someone because they were the only one in the community or they were the person, like they would offer it for a lower price than the person who was a trained dentist. Mm -hmm. um, so there was kind of that tug of war for a while. And it was really not, even though around Confederation laws said that there were new laws forming in different provinces saying that dentistry is a profession, you have to go through schooling. They weren't effectively able to get rid of all of the untrained dentists until around World War One. And the reason for this was the reason I explained was because, you know, many people, the reason they went to untrained dentists was because that was their only option. And, you know, over the kind of arc of history, when we're looking from World War One to, say, post-World War Two era, there were some gains in access to dental care, but... I do want to stress that those gains were made primarily because the organizing done by unions and the fighting for things like dental insurance or providing dental insurance to their people, to the workers and their families. And those were fairly modest. Mm -hmm. It was something that that really caught, you know, caught on in more steam after World War II, kind of in the post Medicare era because private insurance really took off, uh, you know, Medicare was formed. And then what happened is what are we going to do with these other services that aren't provided? And that's when the private health insurance industry really took off in Canada. But um, I did want to talk kind of briefly about why dental care was excluded from Medicare. Sure. I think that's a really important moment in dental history in Canada, because it really like we've had the technology to do fillings, to make dentures, to do root canals, stuff like that. We've had that technology for a long time, but there's still large segments of the population that can't access these technologies, whereas others can. And I think the moment where dental care was excluded from Medicare was a really important one. So in order to understand this, we need to understand what it means when we say the fight for Medicare, because while Tommy Douglas and the NDP wanted our universal health care system to co cover all services, really in the 1960s, the focus was on making universal health insurance for physician services. 
Uh, and those services like dental care, prescription drugs, eye care, the plan was to add that at a later date. Mm-hmm. So, you know, while draft bills and some of the draft bills for Medicare included dental care, those ones were shelved in, with the assumption that, you know, dental care would be financed at a later date. Um, so looking at the fight for Medicare, universal health care as an idea was widely popular, kind of stemming out of the Great Depression era. Uh, where the you know vast majority of people were struggling and they were beginning to expect more from governments. And one of those expectations was universal health care. And many politicians expected this to fade away, but it's said very popular. Despite it being very popular, it did have strong opposition. So in Saskatchewan, this was where much of the fight for Medicare occurred. Doctors actually partnered with business communities to fight against universal health care because they saw it as against their financial interests. They actually, the doctors in the business community spent more on propaganda in the 1960s Saskatchewan election than any political party spent, which (laughs) I think is incredible. And, you know, some of the propaganda was quite absurd. There were claims that, you know, the government officials could commit people to mental hospitals and, you know, all types of ludicrous stuff to try to scare people away from universal health care. But it wasn't effective, and the CCF, which was the precursor to the NDP, won, to min- won a majority in the legislature in the 1960 Saskatchewan election, an election in which universal health care was the main issue. But the doctor's opposition did not stop there, and when the government went ahead with implementing a universal health care plan, doctors actually went on strike. Mm-hmm which is a pretty incredible thing. This strike lasted 23 days from July 1st to the 23rd in 1962. The situation is really tense, as you can imagine, because many communities <laughs> were left without a doctor. Yeah. And due to the dedication from the well-organized base of support, along with you know some sympathetic doctors, public opinion for universal healthcare stead strong. And, you know, they went ahead with Medicare. And this was the first plan like this in North America. And within a decade, uh, similar programs were formed in across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was fierce opposition there. But once people saw the successes in Saskatchewan, it really caught on like wildfire in my imagination. Um, I tell this story as well to really highlight <laughs> the fight that it was to achieve what we have with universal medical insurance for physician services. And, you know, there was a tactical decision where we're going to put all our energy into the fight for universal health care and we're going to come back later and we're going to add these other services. And given that this was the case, we can look and understand how kind of the dental community acted in this respect. First, it is important to note that dentists were opposed to including dental care and Medicare, just as physicians were, but physicians really were in the direct crosshair in this situation. So dentists were able to take kind of a different, a different strategy to try to get their services excluded. But basically they had to stay out of the crosshairs. So when we look at the arguments made by dentists as to why dental care should not be included in Medicare, we do have to keep in mind that this is coming from a group who has historically been opposed to government intervention in their affairs. So kind of the first one was that 
oral health is a personal responsibility. And the idea behind this is to make people think that the existing system of private dental care is fair. And, you know, of course, brush your teeth, drink less pop and all that stuff. But the question really of whether or not to include dental care and Medicare was a question of how do we prioritize who gets treated when dental problems do occur? Do we prioritize the highest bidder or do we help who, do we provide help based on who needs it the most? Mm -hmm. And I think we could all imagine if a doctor told a patient that a diabetic patient that, you know, you didn't take personal responsibility for, you know, diet and exercise, so you might not get your insulin. I think we'd all think that's cruel and barbaric. And in my, in my mind, I think that same logic applies for dental care. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. The next argument they used was that there were not enough dentists in the country to treat everyone. In my mind, I actually think that this is a good argument to include dental care and Medicare, because if there's too few dentists, I mean, it makes even less sense to be performing luxury and cosmetic pr procedures to a well-off segment of the population. And we should really be focusing on who needs care the most. Mm -hmm. It's also important to note, we can increase the number of dentists that there are that schools accept and stuff. That's really not that difficult of a thing to do. And lastly was a notion of, this was a time in which community water fluoridation was becoming mainstream and the knowledge about this and community water fluoridation lowers cavities significantly in the population. It's a really amazing public health measure. Mm -hmm. There was actually a New York Times headline. There's a lot of overstating of this though at the time and the New York Times even had a headline saying end of most tooth decay predicted for the near future. So <laughs> <laughs> obviously the expectations were mm -hmm. far beyond reality. And, you know, while it's un community water fluoridation is undoubtedly beneficial, it was never going to solve the problem totally. Yeah. So this was kind of set up as a false dichotomy by dentists where they said either we could prevent cavities for cheap by community water fluoridation, or we could include dental care and Medicare. It's going to be really expensive where dentists are just sitting around doing fillings all day. And in reality, these were not the only two options. People, you know, the people promoting for dental care to be included in Medicare actually wanted community water fluoridation as well. So there was, mm -hmm. you know, just the framing of these things was, I, in my mind, maybe it was disingenuous. In my mind, maybe it was genuine, but, you know, there was a lack of knowledge or something. But I, I do, do think by and large dentists use their respect in the public and with politicians to manufacture the reality I've described above. And as the fight for Medicare was primarily for physician services, not much energy went into debunking these narratives. And now over half a century later, dental care is still not included in our universal healthcare system. And we have to live with those consequences and many people do. And yeah, it, it, it's something that after the implementation of Medicare, 
this was really when the labor movement was at its strongest. And there was a lot of uh, unions were putting benefits like dental care and prescription drug coverage uh, high on their list of demands. So there was an increasing segment of the population that was gaining access to these services. Government started to create some you know, minor, albeit mm -hmm. new, targeted programs for dental care. Now these were underfunded and they've been cut back and everything like that. So in fact, oftentimes it's actually hard to find a dentist who will accept someone on those programs because they're so underfunded, but at least they were some mild steps in the right direction. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this really kind of, this was a big moment because not including dental care and Medicare meant that people have to rely primarily on work-related insurance and out-of-pocket payments to access dental care. There were though, very notably, and something I wanna get into in some detail, I think it's a really amazing story. And I think sure. learning the history of this, I think is very helpful to understand where we should go in the future, is the history of what are known as mid-level dental providers, also known as dental therapists. So as, other provinces were implementing these targeted programs to try to help people who could, you know, had the very difficult time accessing dental care. They still stuck to the private practice fee for service model with dentists, which was not very effective because these targeted programs were competing with people who could pay a lot more for dental care. So there was limited successes. Also the accessibility of private practice clinics were limited because a lot of people didn't have dentists in their communities. They had to travel very far. They had to take time off work. There was a lot of difficulties in that regard. And back in the, you know, the birthplace of Medicare in Saskatchewan, the, in the 1970s, there was a fight. There was another push for a very innovative dental program that used mid-level dental providers to do much of their work. Uh, so back in the, this was in Saskatchewan, led by the NDP in Alan Blakeney. He, they were looking for innovative ways to deliver dental care. And what they saw was they were researching about a dental program in New Zealand where children were treated in schools by mid-level dental providers, also known as dental therapists. Uh, very successful program and has inspired many other programs around the world. In fact, this year is actually the 100th anniversary of the New Zealand Children's Dental Program. Um, yes, it's very exciting. And uh, the New Zealand Dental Plan was very successful for two main reasons. One was that dental care was provided to children in school settings rather than private practice clinics. This is more cost-effective and more convenient. Many families, you know, they struggle to take time off work, find transportation, all these different things. Having them in the school setting is very convenient and cost-effective. Also, the plan used what are known as dental therapists, which are mid-level dental providers that provide routine care, like uh, diagnosing cavities, performing fillings, extracting baby teeth, all at a fraction of a cost of a dentist. And dental therapists are also paid based on a salary, which also makes them more cost effective than dentists who are paid on a fee for service basis. So following the successes of the New, 
this New Zealand plan, Saskatchewan decided to implement a simple, similar plan called the Saskatchewan Dental Plan, uh, the first of its kind in North America. And the, the plan was much needed as mentioned because the two main reasons people couldn't access dental care was for one, costs, and for two, location. They didn't have dentists in their communities. And this program addressed both of these concerns. And in 1972, there was a 28 month dental therapy training program set up. And uh, while there was plenty of hands-on component and kind of patient treatment part of the plan, what dental therapists saw their main duty was, was to teach children how to prevent cavities through good diet and proper oral hygiene. Um, that was very, very important to them. And, as, as I agree, in, in 1974, the first class of dental therapists graduated and the government hired these dental therapists to work in the school-based setting. They set up clinics in spare rooms and schools and whatnot. And parents were asked if their children wanted to participate in the dental plan. And many were happy to. So in the first year of the program, they treated 13,000 children and Within a decade, the program was treating 166,000 children, or 90% of the children aged 3 to 14. So mm -hmm. it was very popular, and people really liked it. And care was very accessible and cost-effective. Our tax dollars could go further because of the reasons I've already mentioned by using mid-level providers and simple clinics and schools. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna just quote here uh, an economist, uh, her name is Stephanie Rezensoff, speaking about kind of how this dental plan com compares to the traditional fee-for-service model. And what she says is, quote, a relatively small proportion of the population is receiving dental care. And much of this care is received by those in the higher socioeconomic groups. The results of this study of the Saskatchewan dental plan tend to support the contention that changes in the nature of dental care delivery system are such that inequalities in the receipt of care are eliminated. So <laughs> before the plan, most children had really bad oral health, mm -hmm. but this plan changed that. And after the first decade of the plan, children needed on half, on average, half as many fillings and baby teeth taken out because they were that much healthier. And, wow. you know, the rise of this plan did not happen without opposition, just like Medicare, you know, dentists in the province felt like their monopoly was being threatened and they pushed propaganda to try to help sway the population to think that dental therapists didn't perform good work, despite the evidence po pointing in the opposite direction. One dentist who was actually sympathetic to dental therapists in the Saskatchewan Dental Plan wrote an article in the Moose Jaw Times Herald, mm -hmm. uh, criticizing their colleagues by saying, quote, one must wonder if these individuals place a higher priority on maintaining their monopolistic control on dental services than the dental health of people in Saskatchewan, end quote. <laughs> you know, pretty, mm -hmm. I think that encapsulates the moment very well and Absolutely. while dentists were unable to kind of squash this before it happened over time they were able to dismantle the program so 
as in the mid 1980s, the progressive conservatives came to power and followed the law being done by organized dentistry, basically to privatize the program so that care was provided in private practice clinics by dentists on a fee for service model. So this was really impactful to people. The public was outraged because many communities were left with no dental providers and there was no you know, organization to make sure that there was actually gonna be a dentist in their communities. It, was, it resulted in children's teeth becoming much less health, healthy. The 400 staff who were fired from the school clinics were given very little notice. They were, you know, almost all women. It was very, there was an element of sexism to it as well, mm -hmm. considering that the male dominated dental profession was so adamant on crushing this alternative that was basically a female dominated profession that was making them look bad. Um, it was, it's something that since this program has become privatized, the children's teeth in Saskatchewan has become much less healthy than they were before. So there was an article in 2001 from the National Post and the headline was Saskatchewan children have third world teeth. <laughs> you know, this is something that we, 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 we mm -hmm. had an alternative and like once the program was dismantled, you could see children's teeth getting less healthy and nationwide cavities are actually the leading cause of day surgeries for children. Jeez. So it's a big problem. And I mean, in 2009, the conservatives actually closed down the last dental therapy training program in Canada. So the remaining workforce that's there working in a few remote native communities are they're decreasing because when people retire, there's no one there to replace them. Yeah, absolutely. So I think these are kind of great stories to highlight how we could have a different alternative in Canada, really. Absolutely. Um, I know uh, looking at, uh, I believe, places in Europe, I think England, they have universal dental care. Uh, it has been a kind of a topic since the election. I know the NDP it, with PharmaCare, it's something that they have been pushing. Do you think we could eventually see, uh, like, I did an episode on the the arrival of Medi Medicare. And like you said, it was this huge fight. And even like when they'd interview citizens, the citizens were like, oh, I'm not in favor of this, which is mind boggling to me why you would not be in favor of universal health care. <laughs> but could we eventually see universal dental care implemented in Canada? Uh, I, I probably by liberals rather than conservatives, uh, conservative government, I imagine. Yes, I, I do think it's possible. I think the most likely scenario for it to happen would be liberals propped up by an NDP minority, just looking historically how these mm -hmm. things have come to fruition. I think the main thing that, like I formed a group called Coalition for Dental Care with some students at McGill and Dalhousie. Since then, we've mm -hmm. kind of grown and you know included community members, health professionals and stuff like that. One of the big things we need to do is really educate the public on, well, yes, a universal dental plan is going to result in more government spending. It's going to reduce spending in other areas. Like, oh, it's going to eliminate out-of-pocket payments. When you go to get your, you know, go to the doctor, you don't pay anything for it. 
And that's what our vision is for dental care as well. Also, you don't have to pay insurance premiums. So there's a lot of benefits for this. Also, if we're going to design a system for, of universal dental care, we can shift the cost onto wealthier Canadians because that's how taxes work. And maybe the average person might be paying $700 a year or so for dental care now. We could shift it so that maybe they only pay, some people only pay $200 and other people pay a couple thousand. And mm -hmm. that, you know, that's, we structure taxes to do things like this. And I think if we are able to get that message across to people, I think there's a real chance of getting something like universal dental care done. I think when you speak with people about it, they say, yes, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. The main opposition that I see is people talking about uh, the cost really. And I, I think <laughs> when we, when we educate people, we can actually, you know, we have answers to this. I just getting that message out to everyone, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. There was actually a study done in 2010 that compared dental spending in countries that have universal dental care and not. So ca Canadians spent in 2010 on average 310 US dollars per person per year. Whereas France, a country that has universal dental care spends on average 170 US dollars per person per year. So much, much less. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I Like I said, pretty sure that England has it, which is that ironic thing that they have that stereotype of, oh, you know, English people have bad teeth, but then, you know, they have universal dental care, which is, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. That is something that we, uh, that we need here. Uh, um, so the next question, uh, you have a book that you're working on about uh, dental history, dental care, that kind of thing. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so I decided to write this book when I've, I've been learning more and more about the history of dental care myself. I've been doing this for years, just out of personal interest. And it's something that I think there's so much there that the average person would benefit from reading and learning about that I think kind of communicating. I, I talk a lot in the first half of the book about the history of dental care in Canada. I go much more in detail than what I've done here and to different subjects and stuff. But I think that there's so much there that if people learn the history, it's really like, it's exciting to think what an alternative system can look like. And that's really what I, look, the first part of the book talks about the history. The middle part talks about the current state of dental care in Canada and how that results from the history. And the end talks about how we can have a better future, how we can provide dental care to every single Canadian at a very reasonable cost. And when we look at, say, the story of dental therapists, what that allows us to question is, why does a filling cost $250? And we aren't able to really present an alternative when dentists have a monopoly on care, because what else are you going to do if they don't cooperate? When we have dental therapists who can do these basic procedures, say it could cost $75. And, you know, they sit there and do that all day, provide high quality work at a much lower cost. If we're de designing a taxpayer funded system, we can have democratic input to actually 
make these things much more cost effective mm -hmm. and make it so that we can spend money in other areas to really provide people with world-class dental care. Instead of dentists spending half their day doing fillings, they could be doing more complicated procedures like root canals, uh, mm -hmm. difficult extractions, stuff like that, which overall results in people having much healthier teeth and much better quality of lives. Absolutely. Um, I can say that the idea of going to a farmer to have my teeth pulled to an, from an untrained <laughs> dentist is absolutely terrifying. I could not imagine doing that. And I'm guessing there was no oh. anesthetic for that. So it was just no, was no dirty tongs in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, so I guess, uh, if uh, the last question is, if people want to kind of, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to uh, learn more about the coalition, learn more about your book, just have questions about uh, dental, uh, universal dental care and things like that. Uh, what can they, what can they do? Sure. Yeah. So um, they can get a hold of us at coalition for dental care at gmail.com, or they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Um, get in contact with us through any of those, we'll get back to you. And uh, anyone who's actually interested in joining, helping us uh, fight for this cause, we'd greatly appreciate it. I mean, it's something that's right now is a very poignant time to mm -hmm. fight for this. I mean, the number of Canadians who lack, there's about one in three Canadians who lack dental insurance and one in five who avoid the dentist every year due to financial constraints. These numbers are rising. You know, there's people working in the gig economy more so that they don't have dental insurance. There's a lot of people retiring, losing benefits. Mm -hmm. And we're in the middle of a pandemic that's caused an economic downturn that's really causing a lot of pain and suffering for people. And if we don't have drastic changes, we are gonna see more dental neglect and more people suffering because they won't be able to afford dental care. When you lose your job, you lose your insurance and so does your family. And you're also losing out-of-pocket pain. You're losing income to pay for these things out-of-pocket. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Brandon. And if you did, please leave a rating and review. You can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can visit my website where you'll find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash EHX. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. In addition, if you'd like to get in touch, just go to Facebook and search for Canadian History X. You can also go to Twitter. I'm Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D on Twitter. And you can find me on Instagram at Bairdo37. That's B-A-I-R-D-O 37. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.